everyone. Hi, everyone. Ioni and Olivia here, and we are so excited to be presenting a brand new limited podcast series exploring modern identity. Made in collaboration with Monkey, the skin you're in explores what it means to be alive today and the biggest issues affecting our generation. From period poverty to body positivity, gender and race, we want to know where the conversations are at and what we can do to move them forward. We're talking to the people at the forefront of these issues, enacting change through their work and lives. So let's go. I am very excited. This is episode one. So today, I mean, every week we've got amazing guests, which you will find out about as the weeks go on. This is going to be a new weekly podcast every Thursday. So not only will you get the polyester podcast, you're going to get Thursdays, the skin you're in for six weeks. So this episode, we're speaking to Yomi Adeyoke, who is amazing. She is a journalist. She is also the co-author of Slay in Your Lane, which has been described as the Black Girl's Bible. It's an amazing book. I mean, Yomi's work is just so amazing. I don't even know where to begin. She is a Guardian columnist. She's just an amazing person. Yomi is also one of the first people I ever wrote for when I was still at uni. And I actually can't believe it's taken us this long to get her onto something for polyester. But I'm so happy that we did. So here's the interview with Yomi. Hi, Yomi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I feel like this is the first time we've actually spoke somewhat in person, which is so weird. It is so very strange because I'm sure it's been at least... I want to say like six or seven years since wow. yeah. I came across you. Yeah, it's been a really long time. And the fact that it's still not in person, it's kind of like these incremental meets, like email, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Give it another five years and we'll be able to meet in person. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously the listeners won't know, but I think it was my first like proper commission, apart from weird music magazines that I wrote for in Brighton was for birthday your magazine that you started ages ago now yeah I started it in 2000 and I want to say like 12 or 13 and um yeah it was it was an experience it was really really bloody um difficult and I remember polyester from the time and being like oh my god this this is how you actually do it (laughs) like this is an actual proper publication (laughs) like like it's true though because like I mean I loved birthday but I definitely think it was more of a case, if I'm being honest, of me wanting to get into the industry, not finding a route in, and then just feeling like I don't want to waste my time doing nothing. So let me just do something. So then I created Birthday. It was sponsored by Vinspired and O2 Think Big, who gave me like £300 and £500 to like create this publication. So I don't think I was necessarily like the best editor or the best person for the job. And so many publications and is it zines or zines? I never know how to say it. Like wh- zines. whatever, zines. <laughs> zines. Damn it! Damn I think it! It's zines. zines. Is Kanye. I've been saying it wrong the whole time. <laughs> There's no wrong way to say it. It's fine. <laughs> Everyone will come out of me and you and be like, "I've been saying zines. It's zines." Yeah. <laughs> I used to say um. <laughs> to say mem- memes or memes instead of memes so hey. there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I can't pronounce but yeah like I think I just started it for something to do and I feel like so many publications and platforms have like come out since that have just done amazingly and it's been I mean not to like make you embarrassed but like to watch polyester's growth Jesus Christ it's been incredible to watch like it really has just gone from strength to strength and I actually remember like I'm not sure if I was, I don't know exactly when it came out. I can't remember if it was pre-birthday or post, but I definitely have been across it since the beginning. And it's just been like incredible to just watch how amazingly you're doing. No, I think it's definitely post 
not post birthday but like during birthday because yeah. it's definitely one of the impetuses for being like oh yeah I could actually do something like this isn't just reserved for people that already have money or already have connections as you say like you can just do things yourself and I think you were a great editor actually like you're definitely the first time I encountered honest conversations if that makes mm. sense like oh should I write this what should this be like someone who actually nurtures someone which I feel like is still quite rare like obviously there's so many great people but for young writers it's hard to find that sort of nurturing isn't it like regardless I feel like Stay in Your Lane is a really kind of natural progression of birthday and like your work but for anyone who's maybe not familiar with you and your work how would you kind of introduce yourself? So I am a journalist and co-author of a book called Stay in Your Lane it still honestly feels really weird to say I'm an author because it's just like I was just about to say, because it's just the one book, but it's not because we've done like a journal since <laughs> and we've done like yeah. a um, anthology since. But yeah, like Staying Your Lane was a, is a guide to life aimed at black British women. It came about because my best friend essentially and I were trying to navigate the workplace as two young black women. She was from Streatham, I'm from Croydon. In our respective industries, there weren't many people that looked like us or were from the same um, specific backgrounds as us so we were sort of you know having difficulty navigating those spaces she was working in a very corporate environment I was working in you know I'd say like a kind of more creative like journalistic environment and you know I think one of the issues with the creative industry is there's always that kind of like idea that it's slightly more left-wing and open-minded than other spaces but the reality is it's still stopped almost entirely with like middle-class white men even more so I'd say than some corporate spaces so essentially she was just like I've been reading all these books by these white women, you know, that are sort of saying, this is how you like thrive at work, like Lean In, Girl Boss by Sophia Amoruso. And she was like, there's literally nothing that speaks to black women. And that's that was the like seed that was sown that then led to Slaying Your Lane. And now there's like so much. So you have your own podcast, Slaying Your Lane podcast. What's that all about? And like, why did you think podcasting was kind of like a good space to get into? You know what? I think... Slaying Your Lane started a lot of conversations and I think when it came to black women that read the book it was very much a validating experience I think and something that essentially put terminology or statistics to things that they already knew and experiences they already had whereas I think for people that aren't black women it was very much an education and you know sort of brought to the fore conversations that you know they'd never necessarily had before and I think we didn't want it to stop with the book because, you know, so much has happened since. I mean, the idea came about in 2015. It just shows how slow publishing can be in terms of like the actual process, because, you know, we had the idea in 2015. You know, we got an agent that same year and pitched it and got the deal in 2016 and it didn't come out till um, 2018. So it was like a whole sort of slog. And we kind of felt like, you know, we've really sort of started something here and we really don't want it to end with the book and that to kind of be the end of the conversation we really want to kind of continue it so first we were doing that through like social media and having a really active twitter and like instagram platform which was like it was really weird because we we're like do we need an instagram account for yeah. a book <laughs> like i don't really know like we're kind of like ah, i don't know but then after a while we're like yeah okay that that's something we're actually interested in doing because we want to be able to engage with readers and then that was that from that idea is kind of where the podcast came about. And we were like, yeah, again, we want to further those conversations and kind of start new ones. And, you know, and initially it was actually going to be called Slaying Your Lane the Afterword, which is the name of our newsletter, because it was kind of going to be like, oh, the continuing of the combos and all that kind of thing. But then, yeah, eventually we just called it Slaying Your Lane 
the podcast, which is very imaginative. <laughs> now, same here. The polyester podcast, just keep it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to call it the polycast, but then those people are like, they're going to think Ooh. it's about polyamory. And I was like, polyamory. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Oh my gosh. At least you've got, you've got alliteration in there, which sounds great. So, yeah. so obviously the kind of like through thread of your work has always been like, uplifting catering for young black women and giving them spaces that they need or like providing these conversations or an impetus for them obviously everyone over the past few months has been talking about change but as someone who's kind of like been doing this in some form for eight years plus do you feel like there has been that progress or is that progress if that makes sense mm, it's a really good question like it really is because I honestly don't know sometimes I feel like I've always thought I was really optimistic. But when it comes to this conversation, I feel like I'm super, I don't know if I'd call it pessimistic or just realistic because, you know, as someone like yourself would know, as somebody who's also been, you know, catering to marginalised voices on the internet for a very long time, none of this is new. Even pre-internet, none of this is new. Like, you know, there have been people for years that have been trying to have these conversations external to the mainstream, in the mainstream, in whatever space, capacity and space for several years and I think the internet has been integral in democratizing the media all kinds of industries in sort of disseminating knowledge and ensuring that people um you know it kind of leaves no excuse for ignorance Mm -hmm. and it's meant that certain conversations have definitely been brought to the forefront in a particular way that they haven't before however I mean, this isn't even the first, you know, iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement, as we all know. I mean, I'm sure you'll, like, remember very clearly when it was the, for lack of a better phrase, fashion to have Black Lives Matter in your bio. It was a thing for a really long time. So sometimes it's difficult to kind of see whether this moment feels all that different. And also, I think, again, the cynic or realist or whatever in me often thinks, you know, the fact that this is all sort of taking place during a global pandemic, when people have been locked down, when, you know, emotions are are more intense and sort of higher than normal. I don't know if that's necessarily affected how the response has been and how intense it's been. And also, I don't know, I'm always really cautious of when, I guess with the same, I guess the fears that I had around pride and how pride has become something that is super kind of like mainstream in a way that means you know there is no brand that you don't see sort of you know talking about pride and getting behind Mm -hmm. pride without us necessarily seeing them have that same commitment to members of the lgtp lgd l my god i said ld (laughs) plus wow community and i think for years and we've seen very much the commodification of feminism where people you know, could just stick a pink sticker on something and like a Rosie the Riveter, like, you know, poster on top of something, on top of the like cracks of their like organisation in terms of how they like treat women. And I feel like for a long time, I wondered like if Black Lives Matter and anti-racist discourse could reach that point because it was so difficult for people to talk about. I kind of thought there's no way we'll reach that point. I mean, I mean, when you look at all other types of isms, when it comes to, to like sexism, homophobia transphobia all these different things none of them were ever kind of discussed in the mainstream but as they began to be I kind of wondered if it would lead to the like defanging of those conversations and like you know a move to make them more palatable I think with Black Lives Matter I wasn't sure 
if it would happen in the same way because people were so uncomfortable talking about race. But now it's like, you know, when you really do start to see, I guess, black Instagram squares from like brands that feel absolutely no way exploiting minority workers, you know, in the diaspora and, you know, workers of color across the world, you know, it, it does start to feel a little bit, I don't know, it feels a little bit, not only just repetitive, but also disconnected from a real meaningful change. That whole diatribe being said, I do think it would be intellectually dishonest of me and disingenuous to pretend there has been no change. Because as I was sort of speaking to in terms of the internet, it means people are definitely more clued up. You know, we are seeing diversity, you know, put as a priority by many brands and, you know, by many people. We are seeing more conversations taking place about how, I don't know, we can just be sort of better people. But then, I don't know, it, it's it's really, I mean, I just could talk in circles about it forever because I just, I really, honestly, I'm not sure. When, you know, the news came out the other day about the, I think it was the Grenfell, the, I, I, I couldn't even engage with the news properly, that sounds really bad, but it's because it's just like so painful to read, but about the Grenfell fire victims having the recommendations I think they put forward to essentially avoid another tragedy like struck down by their own like MP yeah and it's just like that was a tragedy that affected predominantly black and brown people and working class people and I'm not being funny I couldn't give less of a shit if like a campaign like a fashion campaign has more minority influencers in it versus you know whether we're actually seeing systemic and institutional change take place in a meaningful way for minority people. It's kind of like with the Betty Majinga tragedy when she really sadly and tragically passed away from coronavirus after being spat at. And I think it was the um, transport minister or health minister sort of suggested that, you know, maybe there should be a plaque in Victoria Station where she worked to commemorate her. And it's like, well, how about you just reopen the investigation into her death or ensure that like, I think at this point they hadn't. And it was like, or ensure that justice is served in regards to her death mm-hmm. do you get what I mean yeah so yeah I know it's a really long-winded answer no not to so just say I don't know I just don't know <laughs> but I, I, I'm optimistic but cautious I think it's very difficult when you're kind of someone that does like either has been building platforms or yeah your work is community focused but kind of on the creative side of things or in the media I suppose is the best way to say it because yeah your work same as polyester's work it does always come from this point of optimism because you're catering for these people that need that optimism but then when you're looking at like the actual world picture and the way these conversations go it's like yeah where are we putting our energy into actually demanding this change so yeah you can demand for better representation across advertising campaigns or whatever or media industries but that doesn't actually change the power structures in which we exist in. It just, like, doesn't full stop. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't want to sound like a kind of, you know, like, negative Nancy that's kind of acting like... You don't want to be a whataboutist and kind of be like... Because, of course, you can care about more than one thing at once. Of course representation matters. Of course it matters, like, you know, that people are represented, like, on television, behind the camera, in modelling campaigns, all those kind of things. But I think what's frustrating is that so often these kind of really sort of empty not even necessarily empty but these really symbolic gestures these really visual gestures are made Mm -hmm. and are kind of seen as the you know well we've we've solved everything now and as you said like you have to be optimistic because you know you are catering to groups that 
not only like require this optimism but have been starved of it for so long it's very much like it feels like almost a role in itself you feel like you have to be optimistic but it's difficult because when you've been doing it for so long you have seen you've seen these things before and you know I always say that I'm very suspicious when for anything to be in fashion it has to then fall out of fashion because that's how fashion works like everything is trend-led so it's very difficult when something as you know important as racial justice is being treated with the same kind of the same kind of seriousness as like other boots and it's kind of like yeah (laughs) this is in today and it might not be tomorrow so it's really quite hard but at the same time like there are so many people doing such incredible stuff and having the ability to do so that in a way they never would have before is so it is hard not to feel like optimistic you just don't want to get your hopes up because I think we've seen them we've all seen them dashed so many times yeah and there's there's also like a worry with optimism that people who need to be more on the side of cynicism choose optimism absolutely so like what you were saying about like some people need optimism and especially if you're like creating content and you're kind of like having a conversation that does center around people who are marginalized in whatever way you're like I want to give you optimism but I don't want the white guy in the top of the business to go well, we did this thing, so well done us, and go home, I'm happy, whatever. Absolutely that. I think it's like, do you guys remember when it was like at the beginning of the um, pandemic and the celebrity response to coronavirus was to Gal Gadot (laughs) to like gather all these celebrities and have them sing Imagine, and then Madonna gets in this like milk bath and talks about coronavirus (laughs) as the great equalizer and leveler when like black people are dying and brown people are dying in like disproportionate rates of the virus like that's the thing I think optimism you know is necessary for all of us it really is because it's it can feel like you know these things are insurmountable if we don't have them but it is that thing of like I do think that the immediate kind of reaction to George Floyd was very much like almost retrospective as it was happening yeah about how much would change and had changed and how this was so groundbreaking and so historical and it was most certainly the the protest the response but it was almost very much like like the you know that kind of like dusting off of your hands or like in real time before we've kind of reached an end point it was discussed in very kind of almost absolute terms about what had been achieved and I was like wait a minute it's like do you know what I mean it's been a week of protests and people already talking about it almost as a historical event that's like already you know forever changed like our understanding of racism which it did but we still don't know how much there is to go because we don't know what we have achieved yet because we're still in the midst Mm. of it all it also like that is weird isn't it because yeah like framing it as a historical event allows people to just wash their hands of it quicker and then move on to the next thing which kind of aligns with how we use social media in the way that like all the instagram infographics popping off and like all of these things it's like and you just you can't really learn that way like I do think it is a fine starting point and like not to invalidate that Mm. but sharing something to your story and just looking at those little bits it doesn't absolve you of actually understanding the way the world works absolutely I could not agree more and I couldn't agree more with the point of you know it is not to invalidate anybody because everybody has their ways of learning and I think one of the most important things about the internet has been its ability to democratize because you know, a lot of the stuff that I learned, to be honest, about like black feminism, womanism, black feminist thought and stuff, I learned at university. And that's not something that everybody has access to. And I think mm-hmm. so many people I know have learned the exact same things as me, have read the same text. They learn about it from Tumblr. And I'm like, that's incredible. That's important. It's amazing. But I think 
just speaking to that point of, you know, the people that I respect that have, you know, learned a great deal off Tumblr, they always, not even often, they always go to whatever reading, whatever's been cited from that platform or from that website and from whatever infographic or graphic, and then they go and do further reading because, you know, it doesn't matter how long you make an Instagram caption, it doesn't matter that, that, you know, the Twitter character limit has been extended to 280, like, these are all snapshots, and we do need to do the further reading and the further work and it's not going to be easy and at times it's not even necessarily going to be that interesting because why should it be we're trying to teach ourselves things and better ourselves as people and you know I just think often it is about interrogating in ourselves why we think posting a square on Instagram or you know swiping through an infographic and leaving it there is you know an adequate response do we actually think that or is it more about us trying to I guess feel better about something that feels insurmountable that feels really difficult trying to kind of get a quick fix as the internet often gives us in the same way that you can kind of feel a bit better about yourself when you've had a crappy day and I don't know like if I'm feeling crappy and you know someone sends me like a really lovely like message on Instagram or like I get loads of likes on a picture it's like that immediate kind of dopamine hit yeah I think the currency of the internet is often like swiftness and like immediate gratification I think yeah that bleeds into how we learn and it's kind of like okay, you know, I'm quickly having a look at this thing, putting this up, and then that's that. That's the end of that. I feel better now. I feel like I've done my bit for racism. I can sleep at night. Something that I'm finding so surreal, it's kind of off topic, but literally I've been trying to think about it for like the past few weeks and being like, what the fuck is actually going on? Like, obviously, yeah, this language, we picked it up on Tumblr, and then we used those tools to like create other things. Now we've gotten to the fucking weirdest cultural moment where Piers Morgan is talking about these things on TV. And it's like, how oh did God. this language that we kind of created to so talk around things, like whether that is like wokeness, cancel culture, anything that you want to say, it did start as internet lexicon in a way that was mm. like for young people to talk to each other. And now it's literally like old men in the House of Lords being like, <laughs> oh, cancel culture is stopping me from talking about what I want. Crazy. I just can't believe it. Oh my God. It's, I think what you said to it being surreal was, well, it is surreal because it happened so quickly. And also it's like, it's not just that they are engaging with these terms. They're, they're mm-hmm. misappropriating them. Like, wokeness, yeah. you know what I mean? The idea of wokeness has been completely bastardised, as has, you know, cancel culture, as has so many different terminologies. They've been completely reimagined and, you know, reshaped and changed for public consumption. And they've completely run away from the people that they were made for. It is very surreal to wake up, like, every day and, like, you know, go into my living room and see like whatever old white man is on Sky News that day shouting about cancellation. I'm just like, wow, it didn't, it wasn't even five years yeah. before. Do you know what I mean? It's like these things just, and now it happens even more quickly. Like if another world was to kind of like come up in, you know, you know, youth circles, God, I sound like your grandmother. <laughs> amongst the youth, amongst the kids. If like a term was to kind of like quickly disseminate and be used, you know, amongst young people to discuss like some sort of idea I guarantee like by you know the end of the week it'd be on Good Morning Britain being dissected it's just happening quicker and quicker and quicker it's almost like from a point of ridicule as well like we spoke a while ago on a podcast about how like certain tropes of women and marginalized people were created from like a patriarchal gaze or whatever and they unfortunately can still play out in how like we perceive ourselves yeah and we need to be conscious of that and how that is like seeping in while at the same time we're creating these alternative worlds and then they're like getting ridiculed mm. and it's like we're trying to fight both ways we're trying to fight like internalized oppression yeah it's like being created for us and then seeing that 
things that we do kind of create and have control of some fucking fella in a suit chatting shit about on telly literally properly like a um like what is it funhouse mirror thing where it's just like complete distortion and like it is for ridicule like you know there are concepts for instance such as like colorism that like you know i think it started off as shaders and when i was on the internet like a decade ago first reading about it as a concept something i knew existed something that i had very much seen play out i knew there was a thing where the lighter skin friends i had were treated better and seen as more desirable attractive friendly or whatever than the dark skin friends i had and i didn't have a word for it and then i came across the phrase shadism then i came across the phrase colorism and it was like oh well this puts a term to what i've seen play out for years this is really useful and then by virtue of it inverted commas not being a proper word even though nothing is a proper <laughs> word because we literally just make everything <laughs> yeah. up it's like do you know what i mean people then immediately i will never forget like just started like i don't know like just invalidating it as a concept and almost being like because this word doesn't sound right to me or doesn't sound real to me or isn't in like latin then it's not real in the same way that like back in the day i remember when i was a kid and people used to talk about homophobia people would say, well, I'm not homophobic because I'm not scared of gay people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's supposed to be the biggest mic drop. Like, it makes any sense. Like, they, do you know what I mean? It's like supposed to be such a, oh, no, you didn't. And it's like, that doesn't, doesn't even make sense. But yeah, it's so much stuff for ridicule. And it's just like, I think because what it just makes people feel like when you're even trying to have these conversations, like it's part of why I just don't engage in terms of like, you know, these kind of panels where they'll be like, come in on Sky News and have an argument with this other guy from a completely different like political standpoint from you that has been basically found just to just to not even engage in a meaningful debate about something it's literally just so that you guys can basically fight to the death on an issue it's part of why I don't I just don't engage and I and I, I never will because I am so I love critical debate I love meaningful conversation I don't even mind when people are playing devil's advocates because I truly believe when I'm well read on something I can hold my own but I hate the kind of framing of these conversations which is very much you know not only has this person been brought in to invalidate your idea or, or belief or, or ideology or whatever it's more the channel itself is very like geared towards doing that also so it's very much not about actual meaningful conversation and the exchange of ideas is very much about trying to delegitimize something like it's rigged from the jump yeah. essentially and it's just like a whole rigged game so yeah i don't participate well it's also just like not even about the conversation it's just literally about the people with the power and the people without it exactly you could even have no sound to it and you could see exactly what the discourse was exactly like it's all in the body language and the facial expressions and you're like oh. no respect exactly there's just no respect in those exchanges at all and i'm just like i truly do believe in like you know meaningful conversations and obviously a lot of people don't agree with certain ideas and you know disagreement is common it's expected and I feel like even in terms of you know like I don't know I feel like I'm not gonna sit there and kind of have what I want to be a meaningful dialogue debate or conversation with somebody that wants to essentially back me down with their like um disagreement and disrespect like just disrespect what I'm saying it's kind of like in my mind as well some debates aren't even um they're just not barely worth the like paper they're printed on yeah barely worth the like screen time when it's like is racism real I can't be bothered to <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. I can't be bothered to 
argue about that anymore. I'm like, I'm sure somebody else will. And honestly, like, hats off to them. God bless them. But for me, I'm just like, at this point in my career, I can't, I just, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have mm-hmm. the energy, like, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could literally have this conversation all day, but we need to wrap it up, don't we? So (laughs) what do you want want to kind of wrap up up on, Olivia? The thing that I was going to say before, I don't know if if this is a question or if it's... More of a comment. (laughs) (laughs) comment, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is a guy. Just the thing that I thought about the thing that you said when you asked for a question. (laughs) But just, well, it's just that, like, that whole kind of, like, slogan thing and people kind of taking what they want from it is that it's not really investigating the conversation more and investigating your place in it and how you actually feel about it. And I kind of was interested in how, because you've really been involved in the discourse being different with Slay in Your Lane and then everything Mm. that's come around it in that you can go on the Instagram and be like, oh, this is good. Like, I can have that little click engagement, but then also mm. there's a book and there's a diary. And yeah. just kind of how it is being involved in that as a random question, but just also because it's that's like, you've done that and it's like so important. Yeah, I think it's so interesting with Slaying Your Lane, not just as a book, but as a brand, because it's like, I always say it's like a Trojan horse because like the book is hot pink it has rose gold trimming it's called bloody slain your lane and it's like a proper like coffee table like instagrammable book and then you open it and it's just like shit loads of stats and like <laughs> all this stuff yeah. right and it's calling everyone racist it's just like yeah <laughs> not really but you know what i mean like and i think it's been it really is about like balance i think as well because it's just like it is a brand and i think for us like we always said that you know this was a book that we wanted and we felt was important to be read by everybody and not just you know for book sales but genuinely because we wanted it to be read by black women primarily because that's who it was written for but we also felt that you know it was really important that other people kind of engage with a conversation on an experience that was outside of their own and I think you know because it was written for black women by black women we really didn't mince our words we were very kind of frank some of our reviews are like oh it's pretty depressing and I'm like such is life like that you know what I mean like you know we try to make it as optimistic as possible but I always used to say like you can't slay your way out of systemic racism like it's just not it's just not possible like you can definitely come to like a battle prepared and armed with knowledge I think knowledge is super key and crucial and just just knowing this stuff is really important and great but like despite I suppose like you know our social media presence is definitely very kind of like we're optimists really we really are and we like to kind of like definitely provide optimism to our followers and to our readers and stuff. But I think, yeah, I think for us, it's definitely been about striking a balance because we truly just don't believe in that whole, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like meritocracy. It's just, it's just not real. Like it's mm-hmm. just not. And I feel like a big part of, to be honest, why I've been able to get to where I am today was to it's it's so strange so I just said that knowledge is like super crucial and key and it really is but I do think almost having this ignorance to like the how do I put it to the reality of my positionality in society so growing up as someone that definitely obviously knew I was black grew up in Croydon all that kind of stuff didn't go to private school I didn't really engage I suppose with what that was supposed to mean for my prospects as a woman growing up in the UK so I think there is an element of that where we try to and Elizabeth's kind of mentioned not the same thing but I think that you know she had that same kind of like confidence in terms of like you know almost that like 
white middle class white man confidence of just thinking like the world's your oyster and I guess I didn't really realize it wasn't supposed to be and I think we tried to like kind of balance that by keeping it really real but also like inspiring people and showing that like you know we interviewed 40 black women in the country that were doing amazing things against all odds despite the odds whatever and just reminding as well that like that is also a reality despite like everything else despite all the difficulties that is a reality and that we do want people to come away from engaging not just with our first book but our subsequent books and like just our work generally with the idea that like you know they can do things they can be amazing and if you're not a black woman engaging with again I guess in an optimistic sense engaging with the idea that even if the change you make is super small it's a change because like slaying the lane like it feels like huge to me and Elizabeth but in the grand scheme of things like you know systemic racism still exists but I don't think that that then means that it invalidates the point of that book I still feel like it's done something amazing and it's inspired a lot of people um, I don't know if that answers your question but like I just think balance in terms of like you know approaching these things with like optimism but also realism and understanding that like I truly am a believer of like you know um something is better than nothing and like you know even if what you're doing even if even if you're like donating to like one person or one charity or whatever or or volunteering at one thing it's like I truly do believe in that idea of like even a small change is something thank you yummy that was so good thank you so much yummy I love that conversation yeah it's so good it's just so good to think about how to actually be able to go from like a second of engagement with activism and take it further yeah exactly and how like these things just need to kind of be embedded or just to hear from someone that's been like doing it in such a great way for such a long time is really good I think well I enjoyed it yeah absolutely yeah hope you did too because that was our first episode of the skin you're in done amazing um what do we have next week Ioni so next week we have Naomi Nicholas Williams who you may know better as at Curvy Naomi she's recently or still kind of is undertaking a campaign on Instagram called hashtag I want to see Naomi because her images and her body has been censored by Instagram as a plus size fat black woman so we're just gonna be talking about like beauty standards and everything around that amazing and it's a great episode so check it out so before we end up the episode make sure that you subscribe so you get all the episodes directly into your podcast feed week by week this has been the skin you're in our collaborative series with monkey exploring modern identity i'm ioni i'm olivia and we'd like to say thank you to izzy our amazing podcast communications gal thank you to clarissa and naya at acast gina and carlin and gina tonic and also to yummy of course for joining us of course and thank you to alfie for the music and you the listeners thank you so much thank you bye love you bye